Hey everybody, welcome to our St. Patrick's Day episode, and we couldn't have thought of a more fitting guest than Dave King, guitarist and lead vocalist for the Los Angeles, California Celtic punk rock band, Flogging Molly. Together, we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan-favorite song, Drunken Lullabies, taken from their 2002 album of the same name. I told Dave that I've enjoyed watching his career, and how he was able to reinvent himself over the years, without losing who he was, which is no small feat. Dave was very complimentary towards producer Steve Albini, whom he credits with letting the band be themselves. He wasn't there to mess with the formula. Instead, his sole job was to capture the pure essence of this awesome band, and he did. Dave spoke about the lyrical inspiration and how he was always hopeful that things would turn around politically in Ireland, even at times when it felt hopeless. I love how the imagery and subject matter of the lyrics are very dark, but when paired with this insanely upbeat and positive music, it gives that feeling of hope, that feeling that everything will be just okay. So sit back, pour yourselves a pint of Guinness, and let's sing some drunken lullabies. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, Dave, how you doing today? Chris, how are you? Good to see you. Well, I am really excited that you're sitting in with us for our St. Patrick's Day week episode. So this is really, really awesome. Yeah. A real life leprechaun. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't think of a, of a much better band to celebrate the holiday with. So thank you. And I got to tell you, I have been just so excited to talk to you, Dave. You know, I've I've met you over the years. We did the Flogging Molly cruise back in 2017. Thank you for that opportunity. And I just never had a chance to tell you what I'm about to say. You know, I've followed your career for a long time. And I remember Joe Sib from Side One Dummy. This would have been maybe 1999, 2000. And, and, and you'll probably get a kick out of this because, you know, people from L.A., and this is before, 2000s kind of pre-internet, uh, people from L.A. always assume that you know what's going on in L.A. And Joe comes up all excitedly at like a warp tree. He's like, we signed the Mollies. I'm like, who? He's like, flogging. I'm like, who? You know, because you guys had been a thing in L.A. at that point for a number of years. Yeah. You were playing around. You built up this following, you know. And the next thing I know, you guys are on warp Tours. The band is completely blowing up. And I don't know when it was after that. A couple years later, someone tells me that the Dave King that's in Flogging Molly is the same Dave King that played in a band I loved growing up called Fastway. <laughs> And you want to talk about doing a double take because Dave, as you know, not many people get to reinvent themselves yeah. like you, like you have. And here yeah. you are now in the back half of your career in Flogging Molly longer than you were in any of your other bands. It's, yeah. it's so cool. And, and congratulations. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was an amazing journey to be honest with you. I mean, I was very lucky when, when Fast Steady, Lord rest his soul. I mean, um, yes. Sorry, sorry about that. Himself, Lemmy, and, and uh, Filthy Phil. I mean, they're all somewhere now making a lot of racket. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was very lucky. I had a demo uh, that from a band I had in, in Ireland, and I said to my mother, I said, he left Motorhead, and I was like, man, I want to try out for this. And I sent off the demo, Chris, 
not thinking for a second I would hear anything back. And lo and behold, I was in town one day. I got back to my mom's flat and it was a bicycle outside the flat door. And it was my friend from Donnybrook because we didn't have a phone. So I gave him <laughs> his number and it was his brother. And he's like, you got to get on the crossbar. Fast Eddie just called and wants you to go to London. I was like, what? So we went up and long story short, did the fast week thing, got to tour with bands like ACDC, Iron Maiden, Rush. I mean, it was incredible, you know. And then I went back to Ireland for a while. We had a band together there and it was doing very well. It was a little band called QED. We got a publishing deal with Virgin, I do believe. And once again, we were making a name for ourselves in Ireland. We were getting very popular. And But it, it, it got to a point where it stopped. So I, I got an offer from the days of Fastway. I got an offer from in America from Geffen at the time to get a band together. Would I be interested in flying to, to L.A.? So I did. And um, that's that's where it all started to happen. Were you disillusioned at that point? You know, you had uh, run as, you know, taken Fastway as far as you could. And you know, here you were. You had, again, another band with some success in Ireland. But basically, you're starting over at that point. Yeah. Uh, did it feel like that? Or did it just feel like this was another continuation of your career? It felt like a continuation of my career when I got together formed a band called Kathmandu, or as Bridget, my wife, likes to call it, Kathmandu-don't. <laughs> <laughs> but what's great about it is our drummer in Flogging Molly, Mike Alonzo, is the drummer in Kathmandu all those years ago. Okay. Well, we, we got this band together, and it was, you know, your typical, it was kind of a hair thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and um, it didn't feel good. And here's where it really gets weird. Dan Orman said to me, he goes, um, listen, we want you to, to leave the band. We want you and Jeff Beck to get together and form a, a group. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know, they dangled this carrot in front of me. And, you know, the band Kathmandu had also kind of peaked. We, we were big in Japan, which tells you everything like in those old. Sure. <laughs> um, so I left the band and then the whole Jeff Beck thing started to fall apart because Jeff, Lord rest him as well. I mean, Jesus. Um, I know. He was really obviously big into his cars and he was really into, you know, being, working on his car. So that kind of fell apart. So Epic Records, the label, offered me a solo deal and I started writing demos and Mike, our drummer now, was, was actually on those demos and I got a solo deal with Epic Records. So that's when I started. It. There was mandolins coming out. There was more folkiness coming out because I was writing them on guitar. But I think what happened was um, I made a demo. They gave me a deal, and I went on re- recording these demos. And I brought the demos in, and they brought me into the office in Epic Records in L.A., and they played the demos, and they said, this is great. But we kind of hear you more like this. And they put oh, on Mike, they put on Michael Bolton. Oh, how? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the receding hairline. I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but and this is no word of a lie, Chris. I said to them, listen, drop me right now. Because this isn't going to go any further. Yeah. So I left that office. And a month later or so, they, they informed me that they did drop me. So 
I ran into an old manager of mine who was a tour manager for Fastway in LA. He was managing bands at the time. I said, well, listen, I'll, I'll, you know, give us a hand here, you know. And he's, so he basically said to me, he said, Dave, you don't want to do this stuff anymore. He said, you're going to have to pick up a guitar and go to the bars and play in the bars. And that's what I did. I started painting houses and going to the bars at night and playing songs that I'd written. Now, this is in L.A. Yes, this is in L.A. And, and, and telling someone to go out and play bars in L.A. is pretty daunting. Where do you begin? How do you, how do you build up? I mean, there's just everybody's there trying to do the same thing as you. Yeah, well, I, I was it was completely, completely new to me because I'd never I'd never built a career. I was just, you know, 18 and I was in Fastway. So that's what happened, you know, and I never worked at it. I didn't deserve that. I didn't I didn't sweat blood for that. You know, yeah, I could sing, but I just it was like being on American Idol or something. I just sent the demo tape and got accepted. This was right. going to be hard work, you know, uh, and um, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen my way, Chris. And that was it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that that's incredible. And like I said, you know, there's not too many people that that get to reinvent themselves they get to be somebody and then hey now i'm now i'm doing this 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 celtic punk influence band but you see the thing is as well though chris i was never myself even when i was in fastway mm-hmm. i was never myself i mean i'll tell you a crazy story i was with angus young from acdc and he said to me he said and he said it he didn't say in an arrogant way he said it in an actual fact way he said we in acdc we don't care if the beatles or the rolling stones go on before or after us, we'll always be ACDC. And I didn't know what he meant at the time, Chris. But when Flog when, when and Molly rehearsed as seven people for the first time in LA, there was something else in the room. And I said to myself, ah, I think I know what, what he was talking about now. You know? And so that's when it really felt like I was actually doing something that I worked to get together. You know, oh man, that that story full. I I got full chills, goosebumps <laughs> because I, that is so profound. What he said, yeah, I've said that before. No, no one's ever going to be me. They don't have my DNA, my cells. They can't be. Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, as an artist, you question that. But when you're young, you're, you're trying to be everybody. You know, you're trying to. Oh. You're just trying to like do everything. You know, and but like when he said that to me, it really like because I said to myself, well, I don't have that. I don't have that. And now being in Flogamali, like when I we got Flogamali, that that X factor that was in the room was was that it didn't matter who played around us, we were going to be Flogamali, and that was it. Right. You know. Right. That is awesome. Well, you guys have released seven studio albums. The first one, Swagger, came out in two thousand, your debut, uh, and your latest one is Anthem uh, from last year, twenty twenty two. And the song we're going to talk about today is Drunken Lullabies, the title track from album number two that was dropped in 2002. And can you take us back? Was this a song that, that you had sitting around, maybe left over from the first record, something you were playing in the bars around LA, or was this written specifically for the record? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Good um, answer. <laughs> I, I don't know, because I think that was one of the first riffs that I wrote on a banjo. I got myself a banjo and, and, um, and it being upside down, as well it actually suited me because the chord structures were like i was playing a guitar the way a banjo was strummed so um i think that was one of the first songs i wrote 
on a banjo. So I wouldn't say it was written around the time of Swagger, but it was definitely learned from being on the road with, with Swagger, like being doing the shows in LA. I knew what was mm-hmm. connecting with the audiences maybe and stuff like that. But there was a different, there's a definite trajectory in the sense that after the album Swagger and we played a few shows around, we knew there was something going on and we knew that we were doing something that was, it was honest. You know what I mean? It was, it was right. It, it, it was just felt right. And also what happened was um, when I did come in 89 to get Katmandu together, I received an O-1 visa from the government, which meant I wasn't taking anybody's jobs. And therefore the visa didn't have uh, an end date. But unfortunately, during those years between Kathmandu and Flog and Molly, the laws changed and my own visa had in fact ran out. So I couldn't leave America for eight years and we had just gotten the band really together. So I think that moment, I felt like I was in exile. I couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't go to Canada. We couldn't go to Canada and play. We couldn't go anywhere, Chris. We just had to concentrate what we were doing in America. So I think I felt like I was in exile. Right. I think I really started to hone in on a living room back in Dublin, Ireland, where I grew up as a kid. And the music that I listened to, that my parents listened to, that became to the forefront because I wanted mm. to get back to that. But I wanted, right. to bring, I wanted to bring the audience with me to that room. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, there's definitely something authentic about your band uh it's not an act you know and again like i said you take it for face value a guy that was in this heavy metal band this hard rock thing to turn and do this it's like okay is this real it couldn't be more real and what i mean by that is i mean you've done the celtic festivals you've done the 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 circuit long enough where you get some you know american dude with you know gets a band together and they claim they're you know irish authentic listening going "Uh uh-uh you know and it's just you you got you guys are obviously the real deal and you know my grandmother used to have a term for bands uh, a lot of country western bands uh, irish bands she, she called it shit kicking music and that's <laughs> that's what i refer when i think of you you guys i think of my grandma in that term because i've seen your band in europe germany australia uh the states and you get up there and regardless if anybody knows the material or has heard the band the place just it just lights up it's just fun it you can't help but like it i i think i think the one instant i remember that was actually with you guys when we were doing the walk tour mm-hmm. the first time we did the walk tour and um we were on stage and nobody knew who we were and we were on one of the side stages and we started off deliberately i have to say with a song called The Likes of You Again. And we started off with that song because it starts off with just me on acoustic. And then the fiddle comes in, accordion, bit of mandolin, and then the whole band kicks in. He's watching over me. And I always remember, Chris, looking at the people's faces and I'll start off <laughs> and the fiddle and people are looking around at each other going, what's going on here? You know, 
Yeah. And then we kick in and you, you've seen all these smiles. And the next minute, just a pool of dust. And that was it. Yeah. Shit kicking, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. And and you guys were just completely embraced by the Warp Tour crowd. I mean, yeah. you became one of the, the must-see bands at Warp Tour. And, and it was it was so cool to witness. Yeah, they, they were fun times, weren't they, Chris? I mean, nobody has a solution. But I don't know about you, but I miss, I miss the Warp Tour in a sense. Not for bands like Less Than Jake or Flogging Molly, but for young bands. You know, the, the opportunities that we got from that tour, you know, was amazing. And that is so lacking today. I know. And I, I, I've i talked about that on this show. I My band owes so much to Kevin Lyman and the Warp Tour. I mean, we built a career out of going out every other summer. Yeah. And there was always a new batch of 13 to 15, 16-year-old yeah. kids that had no idea who my band was. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can't put a price on that. No. No, we were we were... We were very, very lucky, Chris. We really, I mean, we know that. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, it's like, God, I wish there was something that was going on like that now for young bands, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I feel like I show my age sometimes. I say, man, I don't know what I would do if I started out as a band right yeah. now. <laughs> where, where do you begin, right? Well, it's, where not, do you... <laughs> it's not showing your age, Chris. It's a fact. Sure. You know, it's an absolute fact. I mean, you know, without the Warp Tour, Less Than Jake and Flog and Molly, and hundreds and hundreds of other bands would not have had a chance to do what they wanted to do. I know that we 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 could just be a footnote of '90s punk at this point. Yeah. I have said that so many times, and yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing what a tour like that did, especially if you got accepted and, and you, yeah. you were part of it as we were. And we, you know, every two years the fans were expecting us to show up. It was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Dave, I want to I want to jump into the track right now. I, I've been dying to break this down. I probably listened to this song. I've I've heard it many times, but probably listened to it 30 or 40 times over the last two days and i got in there buddy so i i want to want to hear what this one's about it's three minutes and 50 seconds that intro is eight bars of the banjo the hi-hat and kick drum followed by eight bars full band drums bass i hear some distorted stereo guitars the banjo pan kind of right is i think that's a fiddle off left and maybe some acoustic guitar in here is that about right yeah, yeah, I mean, quite honestly, the only bar I know is the one I drink in, but... Um... <laughs> love that about irish music in the sense that there was always highs and lows in it you know there was always there was a lot of theatrics in it you know mm -hmm. um and i really you know listening to bands like the dubliners and the pogues and and the clancy brothers you know people like that who at their time were great punk bands yeah you know even though they didn't have a drum kit or a bass drum or, or a bass guitar or, to me they were still punk rock and like a song like drunken lullabies is a great punk song, not only musically, but in, lyrically in the sense as well, you know. I really wanted to, I think it was those eight years that I wasn't allowed to go anywhere that really made me dig in. And that yeah. song in particular, Drunken Lullabies, it's about really, I remember being a kid and I'd go to the pub with my mother and they'd be talking about the troubles in Ireland, but I, you never felt like anything was being done about it. And that's what that song basically is about. 
It's about how long are we going to sit around the bars talking about this stuff and doing nothing about it? You know, when will this song never have to be sung again? You know, mm. basically. And right. um, and guess what? Things changed. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, we had the Good Friday Agreement and, and uh, things in Ireland started to change. So that song, from being written as not, not a morose song, but a song that you were, even though it was a new song when it came out, it was an old song in its history. Do you know, it was, yeah. Jesus, how long are we going to keep writing songs like this? You know, mm -hmm. but now that's all changed. A change has actually been made, which is yeah. now it's a celebration. And that's what I always loved about punk rock. And I, it, you could have this, as you said, morose lyric, but how uplifting is this song? Yeah. You know, if you were singing about partying in the streets with the same song, it it's still going to make you feel that way. You know, yeah. it just so happens that, that the lyrics are, are about the struggles and the troubles of, of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, being Irish as well, no matter how sweet you sing about a song, you're, you're still like, there's always the darkness as well, you know? So you've <laughs> got to mix, you've got to mix. There's always something to moan about in Ireland, you know? There's always been that in the songwriting or in, in writing in general, you know, but there's always been a sense of humor. That definitely comes across. Yeah. You know, especially with the live show. Yeah. It's very important that at the end of the day, there, there has to be a set of a bravery factor about it because that's what brings in hopefully generations of people listening to songs. You know, it is that hope, whether it be a naive hope or not, but, you know, we have, we need hope. Before we move on, was this tracked to tape or to Pro Tools? Oh, tape. It was tape to tape. Okay. Yeah. And the producer, uh, Ted Hutt, which I followed Ted's career. Ted played with you guys for a while. Uh, he's produced records for Bouncing Souls, Dropkick Murphys, Violent Femmes, Brian Fallon, The Boss Tones, on and on and on. I love Ted's productions. And do you recall when Ted heard it? What did he think of the track? Well, here's the thing, though, Chris. I mean, like, you know, Ted didn't really produce the album because we recorded the album with Steve Albini. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did the first two albums and our last album, Anthem, we went back to Steve Albini. Now, what happened was we, we, um, we'd we written these batch of songs. Um, actually, you know, Ted was a part of writing Drunken Lullabies. But we came back to L.A. and Ted mixed it, the album. Okay. Okay. Me. Well... Me then, and him. then that's that that's where I got confused on yeah. Wikipedia. It did it, it said he produced it. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, no, we we did we did give him a producer's credit, but I mean it actually was recorded by Albini. The songs gotcha. were already arranged and Ted mixed them uh, in LA. And I used to go down with him and we do it together or whatever. But um yeah, I mean we, we with Albini, what was great about going back to Albini as well was discovering how we used to do things as well, you know, like just oh. really just plug in. And, mm -hmm. and play and right. that was it you know and i think we took the 20 odd years of not recording with steve we the 20 odd years we what we've learned in those years and we went back to steve and you know the new album is basically like the first two albums in the sense that it's a live album that's what i was going to ask you and that's where that's where i was going with this it sounds live off the floor and i'll tell you the main reason why it's incredible you know when i'm when i'm researching for the for these episodes i will always rewind back and i'll i'll look at the first chorus to the second chorus and i'll be listening for you know did an extra guitar part come in here etc on this track i had went from the 
probably three quarters through the song, there's like a musical interlude where the banjo comes back in, which we'll get to in a little bit. And when it came to that, it was like six or seven clicks slower than the top of the song. I didn't realize it till I had rewound the song to the beginning. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's great. Those ebbs and flows. That's a live band. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we didn't know anything better anyway. You know what I mean? We didn't, we were just doing what we did. Yeah, uh, and what's great we're working about Albini is Albini. Albini lets you do what you want to do. You know, he's not one to 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 butt in and go, well, you know, and state the obvious pretty much. But he he he's such a great guy to work with in the sense that he lets you do what you want to do. I've heard that about yeah. him. He he wants to capture exactly who you are yeah. in a recorded sense. Yeah. He's not he doesn't want to change who who the band is, and I I respect that absolutely. I mean, that's why we went back to him. You know, we because you know, you know what happens with every band is you get a couple of you know you get noticed and you get other people being brought into the fray and they, they add their own thing in. On the on the last album we just did anthem, we just wanted to be us again. You know, just the seven of us just being in a room and recording. Was it hard to unravel that? Because as you learn and go along, or did it feel like, hey, th- this is this is familiar? It's like riding a bike. We're back. We're back to square one. Yeah. No, it was, it was like riding a bike. It was like, yeah. Here we go again. Here's here's what we, here's what we do. Must it take a life for hateful eyes to glisten once again? 500 years like Jellignite have blown us all to hell. What savior rests while on his cross we die? Forgotten freedom burns. Has the shepherd led his lambs astray to the bigot and the gun? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's about growing up in a society where religion was the major factor in growing up in Ireland during my lifetime. Um, which I'm glad to say is no longer uh, the, the case. And I remember I was born in a British army barracks in Dublin, uh, the last British army barracks that was ever there. My father was the first civilian to move into it. And that's where I was called Beggar's Bush. And because it was a, uh, it was a project, it bred a lot of people who wanted to rebel. And a lot of people in Beggar's Bush, when I was growing up at the time, were involved in illegal organizations and i was i was encouraged to join these organizations i never did because while i agreed with their sentiment i didn't agree with the way they were trying to achieve it which was true violence and i didn't agree with that even as a young kid i didn't agree with that and many of my friends got involved in it and couldn't get out of it in fact a lot of them went to jail and um, so that, I mean, it starts off with that, that anger of, I mean, where I was born, Chris, it was in a barracks and the, it was surrounded by huge gray walls and all around the walls were holes in the walls where the gunmen would shoot at the people on the street. So I was brought up with that in my mind. And as a kid, I had visions of soldiers doing that to people on the street. So it, it was all about that. It was all about, it was still about religion and it was still about 
being in a country that has been governed by another country for over 500 years. Angelic Night at the time was the go-to handmade bomb that people would go to in protest, you know? Oh, jeez. So that that was, um, yeah, and where I lived was a huge pub for that, and I've seen it all around me. Do you recall writing these lyrics? Were they in a notebook? Was it something you had written as kind of just stream of consciousness, a poem that you that you decided to put to music, or was this written specifically for the song? Do you do you recall? Oh no, this this would have been written for the song particularly. I mean, it would have. Yeah, I mean, I I, I forget how I, I really uh, do things in a way where it's music or lyrics first. I don't know, but but no, I, I never meander from the path of a song. Each song is its own thing. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Dave King after a few words from our sponsors. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good, healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog, and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Mash. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. You know what's interesting about this track, though, is that there's not really a rhyme scheme on it, which to me makes it makes the vocals sound pissed off in yeah. a good way. Yeah. You know, it's not like blue, true, you know, like yeah. you're not getting those those rhymes in here. And was that conscious? Because most songs that I break down, there's like, okay, the second and fourth line rhymes, here's where you get the, or a soft rhyme, I call it, where they kind, kind of uh, rhyme a little bit. But but here it's really, you know, it, it's it's hard. Well, you see, that goes back to my days with Fastway because I never felt like I was writing for myself. I always had to write under the banner of Fastway. And it never made me. It never made me happy, Chris. I mean, I, I really was. I wasn't in a good space there. I was just a pawn. I felt mm-hmm. so when I felt like Flog and Molly was getting together. I, I felt like you know what. And when I first started playing in the bars, I think the first song I wrote was "Selfish Man." I said, get it out of the way. <laughs> you might as well get this <laughs> yeah. out of the way, you know? But yeah, so th- and, and from then on, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do and say what I want to say, and, and that, that's it. I'm not going to have to answer to anybody. I don't have to show these lyrics to anybody. I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. Because I did it for years where 
I would have to get to consensus over other members of the band if the lyrics were okay. Yeah. There's always something when I break down songs that jumps out to me that I never realized before. And I've heard this song countless times. And all of a sudden now, as I really put the microscope on, it was like the rhyme scheme. I'm like, wow, that is really different to not. I mean, it's almost like you tried on purpose not to have rhymes with this thing. <laughs> and it's so it's so cool because yeah. I can't recall ever having that mindset. And I'm, I'm going to try to sit down and write a song that it doesn't need to rhyme. You yeah. know, it, 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 it can be like this. Chorus one comes in pretty quick at the 50 second mark. The lyric is, must it take a life for hateful eyes to glisten once again? Because we find ourselves in the same old mess, singing drunken lullabies. And we get a gang vocal on the third line because we find ourselves in the same old mess. And it almost sounds like there's a gang on singing drunken lullabies, but it's pushed back in the mix from the other line. Do you know what I'm talking about? It almost sounds like maybe your voice is doubled there. I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> uh, You've only recorded six records since then, Dave. Yeah, Jeez. I, I don't think I've, I, I can't remember with Flog and Molly ever doubling a track. Okay. You know, I okay. might be in on the backing vocals, but that yeah. would be about it. Maybe right, they had me, right. maybe they had me more forward. You know, something else I had forgotten from verse one. We do get the first gang vocal there after the line have blown us all to hell Yeah, to hell. That yeah. gang vocal happens. And, you know, those gang vocals are just such a part of punk music in general, but especially Irish music. It's just yeah. such a such an uplifting thing. So, yeah, that uh, last vocal there, singing drunken lullabies, I, it almost sounded like the gangs were still there, but they were really pulled back in the mix. I didn't know if that was intentional. And sounds like you you don't know because you, you just don't, <laughs> don't remember having listened to it in a second. But following chorus one, there's an eight bar reintro with the full band. And then we get into verse two. And I'll tell you what I love about verse two is instrumentally it's pretty much the same as verse one except the fiddle it's in the same world for probably 70 percent but the notes and phrasing really change up have a fiddle player so <laughs> when you're in the studio is it kind of like do what you want imp improvisation or uh, is, it, is it usually all charted out yeah well, what's great about the fiddle is is that with bridget you can start the song off in a certain register and there's always room to move around that register you know and even though it's in the first verse and all that and it's always nice to have that luxury of being able to bring in the fiddle in a different context you know by not adding another instrument it's still the same yes you know but yeah. it's in a different context like the lyrics it's like changing with the lyrics and yeah i mean and a lot of it as well is 
being in the type of band that Flogging Molly is, you, you learn that how these fiddles and tin whistles and accordions and banjos work together, you know, because you, you could have an overload. I mean, just you're always tempted, like, oh, let's throw the whole kitchen sink in here. But, <laughs> yeah. but you've, you've got it, you know, at the end of the day, when you're recording something, as you know, you know, Chris, it, it's going to last forever, mm-hmm. no matter who listens to it, if anybody listens to it. So I think you've got to be constructive in that way. But it is, it is, it is a luxury to have an instrument where it's got many different octaves and different, you know, realms of playing it, you know. And, and, and by the way, Bridget as well, like, Bridget's a real traditional Irish uh, player. She, she played with the Chieftains when she was 16. Oh, I wow. mean, she, she's played in pubs all over the world. I mean, that's what she does. She sits in bars playing fiddle with other musicians. So she improvises all the time. That's there as well, you know. Well, going back to ACDC, you know, it's been said they're they're the world's biggest bar band. Yeah. You know, like like them and ZZ Top. And I'll include you guys in that yeah. too. And, and and you know, to 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 Bridget's credit, here she was, played every pub and, and hole in the wall there was. Yeah. All you're doing is just amplifying her on a big stage. It's gonna yeah. still sound like like uh it, it's well, coming I, from I, the pubs. I, I think the perfect description of that is it was actually her birthday. And we were in Holland, and there's this Irish pub in Holland. And we all said, well, let's let's go to this pub that we know in Holland, this Irish place. I forget the name of it, to be honest with Chris. So we all went over. Bridget, uh, Matt and the gang, they all sat in the corner and just, you know, Dennis and we all started playing. I was playing the barrel on and we just start playing Irish music. And the barman was behind the counter and he goes, apparently he got on the phone or got on the Internet or whatever. Next thing you knew, there was a line going around the pub. Right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So we were playing, this is no word of a lie, right? And we just played pure traditional Irish music, no Slug and Molly songs whatsoever. But the next day, we were playing with the Rolling Stones. Oh, gosh. That's the type of band Slug and Molly is. We can play <laughs> in a pub and be quite happy, but we can also play with the Rolling Stones. I mean, it's it's mental. And that's going back to what Angus was saying with ACDC. Yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you are who you are, you'll yeah. be heard, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm I'm proud of my band for that because we yeah. can go play to 40 people and it's like we're playing to 60,000 people yeah. at uh, Hurricane Festival yeah, in Germany. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> the energy that you guys have is, is like, it's infectious, you know? It's, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you give it your all. It doesn't matter uh, how many people are in attendance. Well, yeah. verse two, the, I'm going to read the lyrics and have you set these up. I watch and stare as Rosin's eyes turn a darker shade of red. And the bullet with this sniper lie in their bloody gutless cell. Must we starve on crumbs from long ago? Through bars these men made steel. Is it a great or little thing we fought? Knelt the conscience, blessed to kill. Well, first of all, it's um, it's Roisin. Roisin's eyes. Oh, Roisin, sorry. And Roisin, Roisin is the old... Pretty much Gaelic name for Ireland. I did not know that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I use that word in there to bring it back to that context, you know. Wow. How did I? I've been to Ireland a ton. I've never. I'm sorry. I've never yeah. heard that. Yeah. I mean. Okay. I don't know if you remember. Tin Lizzy had a great song, uh, Roisin Dove.
but yeah so it's all about and it's about the young people that i was talking about uh being sent to prison um when i was growing up they were in their own way tried to fight for freedom but by doing what they were doing was no better than what was being done to us mm, you know yeah. so that's what that verse is about it it's uh you know, I'm to take the life for hateful eyes to glisten once again, because there was so much hope. Ireland, you know, it, it was a dire place to live in in the 60s and 70s and the early 80s. But you knew, you know, you'd go to a pub or, or you'd, the conversation was always sparkling. Storytelling was always, you were always, every Irish person in their own way was a storyteller, you know. And, and a lot of it was make-believe in a sense that, Let's put it this way. It was embellished, you know, <laughs> sure, uh, because they were adding their own, their own angle on it, you know, mm -hmm. plus it, you're pouring alcohol on top of it. I, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, you know, at a very young age, you, you learn to embellish the dark, the darkness of stories as well, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, that verse is, is, is like, it's a great middle verse in the sense that I feel like it's stuck in the middle, you know, you couldn't move that verse to the first or the third verse, say. it's stuck where it is. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask, well, first of all, is there a demo for this song? Do you recall? No, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. And you kind of answered my question. I was going to say, was uh, verse two ever verse one and, and no. vice versa, but no. no. Okay. And again, it has to be in this order. Yeah. Yeah. All our songs are like that, actually. No more so than drunken lullabies, you know, because when you, if you remember like, it, well, I, I remember like, writing drunken otherwise was just writing another flag of molly song you know th there wasn't any delusions of grandeur that this was going to be the barnstormer that it turned out to be or the song that gets put on tony hawk's pro skater 4 yeah. i mean yeah. you can never you could never imagine those things as a band like we're no. gonna get our song's gonna get picked up by a video game and turn into this thing that we never ever thought it would have legs like that it's amazing yeah i think i think i think the one thing that really hit me about songwriting chris was that Oh, you know, you're on Tony Hawk and you're in these, you're, I, th I think the most incredible thing like that that ever happened was is people come up to me and show me pictures of their family members' tombstones and have got, they've got my lyrics on them. Oh, wow. You know, that's, that's heavy. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a whole different ballgame, you know? Yeah. I, you, you can't put it into words. I, no. I have. No. I have kids come up. I'm sure you've had this, you know, your lyrics have saved my life. And mm -hmm. you're, what do you, what do you say to that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what you, you give them a hug. I mean, what else, what else can you do? Well, I think in some ways, <laughs> in some ways they saved their lives too, you know? Mm, oh yeah. You know, yeah. It, okay. it's the highest honor that can be bestowed upon a musician. Yeah. Absolutely. It really is. Yeah. Well, chorus chorus two, same lyric as yeah. chorus one. The back half of this one, I swear, on the line singing drunken lullabies that the gang vocals are slightly louder on this one. Maybe it's the intensity of the song building, but yeah. it sounds like it sounds like it's a, a little louder than the first time. And then we get into quite possibly my favorite part of the song. I love the bridge in this track because, you know, bridges are, are, are usually they're a departure. And in this sense, it's it just to me, it's like a continuation of the song. But the last two lines of the bridge, they are the chorus hook. Oh, 
But maybe it's the way you were taught, or maybe it's the way we fought. But a smile never grins without tears to begin, for each kiss is a cry we all lost. Though nothing is left to gain, but for the banshee that stole the grave, because we find ourselves in the same old mess singing drunken lullabies. Getting that <laughs> chorus hook after the bridge, yeah. I'm sure there's songs that uh, that have done that. I can't recall off the top of my head. It, it's just a cool little trick you guys did there. Yeah, I, I have no idea. You know, I mean... It's just going back to like not being given a license to 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 formulate anything. It's just doing what you want to do, you know. Mm. And it makes perfect sense to me. You know what I mean? Oh, there's not a part in this song that I would take out, or I would lengthen, or I, you know, yeah. whatever you guys did here. There, there's some magic going on with the track. Yeah, I, I, I think being a live band, Chris, is is is, is, is it's it's what it's all been about for this band, you know, and. You know, this song is just trying to say what I really felt about Ireland at the time, you know, about how I grew up in Ireland. Are we still going to sing about the same old Ireland in 20 years time? You know, hmm. and that's what it was all about. It was that anger. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. There, there is a lot of anger in that song. You can hear it in the vocal. And again, it's it's really, it's camouflaged by how just, ah. Uh, how much energy and how happy the song feels. Yeah, I mean when you when you hear the when you hear the line like singing drunk and lullabies, yeah. you think you think like, yay, we're drinking and but it's not really about that, you know? No. It, no. It, it's about it's about everything else around us. I mean, like now we can celebrate, now we can really drink about it, you know? I, I love that. That's that that's killer. And bear with me here. I got a bunch of notes on the musical interlude that happens after the bridge. And mm -hmm. This is just great, this part. There's there's so much going on here that just makes you feel, again, like you're at the pub watching your favorite band. Hand off to the right, and that distortion guitar hangs over for the first bar of four bars. And then there's a spoken uh, vocal that says, right, come on, uh, followed by an unintelligible talking. Uh, and that's what I was getting at when I was saying, it feels like you're just at a pub. You know, you hear some talking, you can't really make out what's going on. And this is happening with the kick drum and the banjo panned off right. And it sounds like bongos or tom overdubs are happening there. Do you remember? It's probably a barrel on. A barrel, an Irish drum that I play. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Could, That's could been, what it could is. Been that. And I think the unrecognizable talking, because we all record together, mm -hmm. that's probably me kind of suggesting to the drummer or, or whatever when to come in and what to do. <laughs> yeah. You, know? you were directing. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably what that mumbling that we couldn't take out because it's yeah. live. 
Uh, yeah. That's probably not mumbling is for sure. It yeah. sounds like it's supposed to be there, which is, which is absolutely beautiful. Uh, and here in the notes I wrote, this part is noticeably slower than the top of the song, which is so cool because I wouldn't want this part to be fast like the top. This yeah. kind of has to settle into to where it's at here. It's so cool. On the fifth bar, there's a side stick hits that come in, like on the side of the snare, yeah. and the fiddle panned off left. On bar eight, a spirited yeah is kind of in the left speaker that pans over to the right, the yeah. It's super cool in headphones that you you can really, really pick that out. And then a full band 16 bar re-intro. On the back half, bars 9 through 16, the fiddle part really changes here. Yes. You haven't heard that, what's going on there in the rest of the song. Uh, and then we're, it almost sounds like at that part, we're joined by another distortion guitar maybe that comes in there, an overdub or something. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was it was meant to be like a, a musical bridge almost, like yes. in the sense that you have the banjo and you have the the, the, the stick coming in and the barrel and all that, and then we felt like when we kicked in, instead of maybe just doing the riff again or whatever, we would make it more of a a, a fiddle solo. So yeah, I mean that that was intentional. I, rem- I remember that because everybody knows that most of the songs I write have most four chords in them. You know, yes. you you got you got to do with those chords what you can sometimes. You know, and, but exactly. So, but, but you know, Chris, most of the times they're there. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of moving them around a bit. That it's just an extension of the same chords. You know. Yeah, well, that that uh, what you're calling a, a a musical bridge or musical interlude or whatever, that part is awesome, and it sets up verse three. <laughs> Sit in and dwell on faces past, like memories seem to fade. No color left but black and white, and soon we'll all turn gray. But may these shadows rise to walk again with lessons truly learnt. When the blossom flowers and each our hearts shall beat a new found flame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like how long are we going to have to look at murdered souls that have been murdered innocently in a bomb? walking down the street. I mean, I remember one time a bomb went off in Dublin and when the bomb went off, I was sitting at a table in our flat in Dublin. My mother wasn't there and the ground just shook. You know, it felt like an earthquake, but I didn't know what an earthquake was because obviously in Ireland, we don't have earthquakes. Well, we don't have, you know, but I remember Chris, my mother was in city center and I sat there and I didn't know at that time whether the key would go back into the hatch of the door oh, and her open oh. the door. And I sat there waiting for that door to open because I didn't know if she was in that part of town, you mm. know? And I My never, gosh. I always remember never wanting anybody to feel that ever. You know what I mean? And that's what that, that last verse is about. But maybe we can, and in the third verse, it's, it's maybe, can we? Can we learn from all this mm-hmm. and rise again? But right. listen, you know what I mean? Let's 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 learn from what we've gone through that the horrible, 
horrible fighting that we all went through and can we end that fighting and and move on and embrace you know the last thing you want to embrace is another conflict you know what i mean um yeah and ireland and that's that's why i'll never stop playing this song because this is about conflict that we as a nation in ireland went through but unfortunately it's what we're all going through these conflicts never seem to end it evolves into the next one it seems yeah yeah you know and, and yeah while this well i've gotten this one off my chest i'm just glad to see that the song isn't meaningless in the sense of it actually came to fruition what i was singing about what i was hoping for has actually come to fruition in ireland and i've said this you know and it's very naive it's a very naive thing to say don't get me wrong i know it is but you know if we can have peace in ireland we can have peace anywhere is that the case i don't know i really don't i would like to believe that because that's what that song is about which is so crazy for me because every time i've been to ireland i just I feel like I'm at home. I feel I feel relaxed. I don't I'm not looking over my shoulder. I can't imagine it being like that there, although I know it was like that at one point, you know. Mm. Uh it's just amazing. Uh after verse 3, we get into the last chorus. Chorus 3 is the same chorus except we get the last two lines again. I swear, Dave, that the fiddle is louder here than it is anywhere else in the song. I think it's great. I, I'm, a, I'm thinking maybe it was mixed up a dB or two there. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't think my ears ears are fooling me. I love the last line. You hold out the singing, drunken lullabies. You hold it out legato there before the very last line where the band ends together and the mix fades out. And, you know... You said this, and I, I hear this a lot on the show, that this was just another song, mm. just another one that you wrote, ended up being the first track on the record, you know, named after the same title, Drunken Lullabies. But, you know, here you are now, 21 years later, think of what's happened, everything you explained with the conflict going on. And here you are talking about a song 21 years later, and it's just, to me, as fresh as it was the day you wrote it. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's as fresh every night when we play it too you know i think that's very important you know chris like yourself as songwriters if if it's meaningful to, to you and you do it in your way it never gets old you know i mean i never go on stage going oh god we gotta do this one again or that one again i never ever feel that you know i don't either and i've had people say to me what what songs uh do, do you can't stand playing and i just I, honestly at this point in my career i answer it like Never, because if I don't want to play it, I I, I couldn't imagine trying to get be, be getting on stage, and I I can't fool you. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the energy you it's the yeah. energy you feel from that audience yeah. that makes the song new every time. And plus, I think when you're as bad as an acoustic guitar player as I am, you'll never learn how to play the fucking song. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 so there's always that as well, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> we should probably end the end, end the show right there. Huh? Totally. No, can't get a, can't get a better quote. Well, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for sitting. Before we break, uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with? I know you got a couple more shows on this current tour. What do you, what do you have uh, after this? Well, we have obviously um, St. Patrick's Day, which falls on a Friday night. Woohoo! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and we are in the uh, we're in the, the Palladium. Oh my gosh! In, in Hollywood, um, which is always so much fun and because it's the weekend we 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 end on a sun we usually end on saint patrick's day when we do this little build up uh although yeah but this has been a long one and uh the 19th is the last show yeah so then we're off to europe as you know (laughs) absolutely absolutely and i know i know we're going to see you over there at some of those i saw Absolutely. But listen, um, I, I meant everything I said at the top. I've been following your career since I was a kid. It's been an honor to get to know you and, and congratulations. Oh, Chris, thanks so much. It's so great talking to you. Good to talk to an old friend. Hey, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Dave King. And I hope you're all enjoying your St. Patrick's Day week. Don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Speak Easy Streets, a multicultural group of musicians from Israel, Chile, France, Cuba, and New York City who offer an eclectic mix of swing, gypsy jazz, punk, and hip-hop. Here's a snippet of their song, Virus Pirates. and Chris. So Chris, I thought Dave's story of perseverance was amazing, especially the way he restarted his career by painting houses and playing at bars at night. Like he had to do a complete reset. And I just thought that was amazing. No, I know. And I even mentioned to him, I thought it was a little bit daunting, you know, the the prospect of like hitting the LA bar and uh, club scene, but, but it wasn't to him. He just kind of felt it was the next step and, and look what happened. Dude, that is such a vague thing for someone to say to you, like, just got to play the bars, man. <laughs> luckily, yeah. Luckily, Flogging Molly found a real home in LA, you know, a place where they could play regularly. But yeah, if someone told me that, I'd be like, well, 
not going to do that. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to guess, guess I'm going to do a different career. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he made it sound like this is just what you do, but, but haven't like thousands upon thousands of people set out to do just that and, you know, did, didn't have success with it, especially in the, uh, the, the LA scene of how, how spread out and in, insane it is out there. But, you know, he just, he comes from that, uh, uh, you know, b- pull up your bootstraps and let's let's get it going. You know that that work hard ethic. I dude, I was laughing so hard when he said that Epic told him that they wanted him to sound like this, and they put on Michael Bolton. <laughs> nothing against <laughs> nothing against Michael Bolton, but that's almost like that's a cliche of like. <laughs> What what do you mean you want me to sound like Michael Bolton? That sounds like something from like a comedy movie. That's ridiculous. I know, and it's just it's amazing that that Epic retained his contract after Fastway because by that point, you know, hard rock and metal were kind of passe and on their way out. And then they want to turn him into Michael Bolton. I didn't get that either. And you know, I had mentioned Chris that Joe Joe Sib from Side One Dummy at the time, you know, mentioning to me, hey, we just signed them. You know, I think he said the Mollies or flogging, and I I didn't know who he was talking about. But they just had this groundswell in Los Angeles. And I remember him saying, you got to see this band. Next thing I know, they're on the Warp Tour and they were just killing it. Chris, there are certain things that are said on this podcast that I will never forget. Recently, we had Ben Lee on and the thing he said about like, if you have fun when you're recording, then the people will have fun listening to it. And I think about that all the time now. And Dave said something that you've said things along this line too that I'm never going to forget. But he was talking about how when he was talking to Angus Young from ACDC, how he said whether ACDC is playing with the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, they're always going to be ACDC. And I got to keep that in mind too, because I got to tell you, and I don't think there's really anything wrong with this, but over the years, my band, we've toured with all kinds of different styles of bands. We've toured with Less Than Jake. We've toured with, you know, bands that are more punk, bands that are more just like rock, whatever. And we're always thinking about our set, like, Oh, what will appeal to this crowd's fans? Let's tailor our set to that. Maybe you just got to be yourself and just do you out there. I thought I loved mm-hmm. that. I loved when he talked about that. It, it, it's so true. There, there's not many bands at the end of the day, like the Beatles that, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you got this amazing recipe and, you know, the, the Beatles started out with vegetable soup and, and b- by the end of it, they had beef Wellington. I mean, they had like this, this roast, this thing. It's like, it, it was so far from where they came from. Not many uh, uh, bands can do that. You look at even like the stones, let's say, uh, look at their set list. It's all the staple songs that sound like the stones, the experimental stuff sometimes just goes to the wayside. And I totally get that. Uh, at the end of the day you can just be who you are and that's that's what the audience i think appreciates from you you know i've learned a little more recently just due to doing episodes doing after party episodes or whatever about like ireland's history especially this history that isn't even that old but he brought up the good friday agreement now i didn't know what the good friday agreement was but it was on april 10th of 1998 It was the agreement that ended most of the violence of the Troubles, which was the political conflict in Northern Ireland uh, that had been going on since the 60s that I've learned a lot about recently. But, you know, I didn't really learn about that in school. I had to learn about that on my own, really, you know, so uh, I thought that was an interesting thing that he brought up and it was a big part of the story, you know. And I don't know if you know this or not, and I didn't mention it to Dave, but Less Than Jake has a song called The Troubles on our See the Light album. Yeah, that's in reference to that uh, that whole thing over in Ireland. So pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, I just 
in general, man, Dave King, he's just full of amazing stories. I'm sure you could have done hours upon hours of the stories he told. Like playing a random pub in Holland and then the next night playing with the Rolling Stones. Like that's <laughs> just, just, you know, I'm sure he's full of crazy stories. He's had such an insane career. And uh, I thought that episode was so awesome, man. So, so yeah. good. I did too. I was, and I was so excited to have a St. Patrick's Day themed episode, and I yeah. couldn't think of a couldn't think of a better band than than the Mollies to do it. And like you said, he's just he's just so humble. It's like you're you're talking to, to to someone out one night, and he just keeps you know. I could have talked to Dave for Dave for hours, but he's been out there now. Uh, doing what he does for the better part of gosh, probably over 40 years now. And that is just, that's just awesome. Yeah. Something about talking to somebody with that, the Irish accent, it's just so charming. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> I just like, I want to have a pint with that guy. You know, I just want to, I just want to sit down, tell me stories. I mean, I think that it's funny. He talked about that. That's like a big part of Irish culture is having a beer and telling a story. Maybe it's a little bit of a tall tale or maybe it's an exaggerated story, whatever. But like, I just think it, it's so cool. You know, it, it makes a whole new appreciation for flogging Molly too, that I got from this episode. Yeah. And not to take anything away from their songs. They have great songs. They have great lyrics as we know from this episode, but it really is just the style of this music. It is so festive and it's so happy. You hear it. It's just infectious. You can't help but like it. I feel like bands like them, uh, flogging Molly, they do kind of have a little bit of an advantage that can get in front of really any crowd. And it's, it's just if you're in the right mindset, you're going to have fun with it. Hey, Chris, I wanted to tell you something that I noticed that he said, and I was surprised a little bit by what you said about it. You brought up to him that the lyrics don't rhyme in the song, which, mm -hmm. yeah, they, they don't rhyme, but he makes it work with the way he delivers them. Yeah. And dude, less than Jake does that a good bit. You have a lot of you have a lot of stuff that doesn't rhyme in your songs that you make work, especially like you talk about the days where you didn't write the lyrics necessarily, but you're writing mm -hmm. the music. You're good at that. I don't think you gave yourself <laughs> enough credit for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I, I guess that is a, a correct assessment. There's a lot of times it's like, okay, he, he's not bending on this lyric. I have to make it work <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> phonetically here. How's this going to happen? So it, it is a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit of a puzzle at times. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you said that, I'm like, Chris, you, you're good at that. Uh, you Maybe you were just being humble or whatever. But uh, anyway, man, this was a great episode. And I, I hope everybody out there enjoyed it. And I hope that you'll celebrate responsibly and <laughs> have a lot of fun this week for St. Patrick's Day. We, we figured we'd release this on Monday. You have a full week to enjoy this episode before the big day, which lands on a Friday this year when we're releasing this episode. That's right. So happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody out there. This has been a wonderful episode. Please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. Go over there, join it, and uh, yeah, get in there on some discussions with us. We have a we have a great time. And please give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. And oh, I'm still doing those custom songs. If you want info about a custom song for you with that special someone, hit me up at Christamakes at gmail.com and I'll get right back to you. Wanna thank this week's guest, Dave King, for sitting in with us, and we'll see you next week. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. 
You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.